Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. If more people would have had an opportunity to hear our next guest, maybe we wouldn't have had the mortgage debacle and the housing market crisis that we suffer today. Many people have overspent and are finding themselves in trouble because of it. Well, to shed some light on the subject so we don't make the same mistakes is Gibran Nicholas, who is the founder, chairman, and CEO of the CMPS Institute. Their focus is to protect consumers by empowering mortgage and financial professionals to make suitable mortgage and real estate equity recommendations. Welcome, Gibran. Thanks, Jim. It's really an honor for me to be here. It's great to have you, and I know with today's housing crisis, and a lot of people have maybe overspent on their houses, maybe we should have done this show a few years ago, but I think it's never too late for our audience to learn, and we're really looking forward to what you can share with us. As a professional writer, speaker, entrepreneur, and you are the founder and chairman and CEO of CMPS Institute, which focuses on protecting consumers and empowering mortgage and financial professionals on suitable mortgages. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your background, what led you to that, and how you're helping people understand their home mortgage process? Well, certainly. Thanks, Jim. It's really an honor. I started as an entrepreneur when I was 16 years old. So I've been in business for quite a while doing different things. I studied Series 7. I thought of becoming a financial planner at one point in my career. But then I found the biggest problem that I saw in in financial advice and financial planning was the lack of emphasis on housing. I mean, everybody has a house. Either they have a house or they want a house. And the mortgage is somebody's largest debt. It's the largest portion of their outgoing monthly cash flow. And so I thought, boy, you know, what if I could specialize as an advisor to people focusing on the suitability of of their mortgage? And so that's what I did. When I was 20 years old, I started a mortgage company and I focused on helping consumers and their financial advisors make smarter choices when it came to their mortgage. And I did that very successfully for a number of years. I noticed that there was a lack of ethics, you know, a lack of training in the mortgage industry. And so I thought to myself, well, what if we create a training program to train other mortgage professionals on how to provide the right advice when it comes to helping somebody evaluate their housing options? And so in 2005, I started CMPS Institute kind of at the height of the subprime situation where people were making poor choices, we thought, boy, we ought to educate the industry on how to help consumers make smarter choices. And so we started, it's called the Certified Mortgage Planning Specialist designation, where a mortgage banker or broker would go through our training and become certified on how to give better advice to their clients and how to help financial advisors really provide a higher level of service to their clientele when it comes to evaluating mortgage and housing options. And so since that time, we've been able to train over 7,000 mortgage professionals all across the country. And this is something I'm just very, very passionate about, making sure people make smart choices, because there's so many opportunities to make mistakes when it comes to housing and mortgages, and we just want to make sure that people have good advice out there. Well, that's a fantastic passion to have. Javon, maybe we should start with what are maybe the top three mistakes that people make when determining a price range for a new home and really tell us how you can avoid them. Well, that's a great question. I think the first is thinking too big. I mean, a lot of people, they see something they want and then they go after it and they don't really stop and think about, is this really in my best interest financially and personally? Because when you go and get into a situation where you're buying a home that maybe will not meet your needs over the long term, 
it just meets your needs short term. Then you go to sell that home and you find that it's hard for you to sell the home. Maybe you thought too big in the beginning. You didn't look at your life and kind of plan out where this home fits in the overall scheme of where you want to go in your life. And so I think that's the first mistake that people think when they go to buy a home. And the second mistake is really what I call thinking too small, where you're worried, you're driven by fear. And so first mistake is really being driven by greed, wanting too much home for what your needs are. I think the second mistake is really thinking too small in the sense that you're making a decision based on fear, where you're not jumping into the market. We're seeing a lot of this right now. A lot of people are procrastinating when it comes to whether they ought to jump back into the market. But if we look at the statistics and we look at the trends in the industry, everybody wants to buy low and sell high, but no one really does it. We end up buying real estate when prices are very high and we try to sell it at a loss to get out of a mess when prices are low. But now is almost the perfect opportunity for people to step into the real estate market and have a higher level of confidence because values, house prices are very, very affordable right now and mortgage rates are extremely affordable in terms of the fact that we've not seen these mortgage rates in many, many years. And so thinking too big, thinking too small, are the first two mistakes. And then the third mistake, of course, is not thinking at all. And a lot of people just make their decisions based on emotion a lot of times. And while emotion is great, your house serves a purpose in terms of housing your family. And these things are very emotional. Your kids go to a school district. That's a very emotional process of sending your children to school. But I think the best thing to do is to talk to an advisor, somebody who can help you almost think through the process of making sure that the mortgage you choose, the house you choose fits within your budget and within your objectives, where you want to be in your life. Those are all great points. And one thing I see is, as you were talking about this, I envision people that are trying to sell a house, they're going to upgrade, but they put that off because they remember what they paid for their house and they remember what it was worth just four or five years ago. And they think, well, I'm going to wait till I get more for my house before I upgrade to this other house now that the kids are getting bigger. And I challenge them. I said, well, it's a lateral move because even though you're not going to get as much money for the last house that you're selling, the house that you're buying is less. So overall, you'll probably save money. And that's where maybe going through that exercise and thinking about it. And that brings us to our next question. How should someone determine the price range that would be affordable for that new home? Well, that's a great question. Let me just kind of segue off of what you were saying a minute ago. If you ask yourself this question when you're thinking, should I sell my home at a loss or what I perceive to be a loss based on what I paid for? The question I think you want to ask yourself is this. If I had to pay for this home right now and buy it, would I make the choice to buy it at this price? And if the answer is no, you'd make a choice to buy another home at that price, then it's time to go ahead and sell the home and move on to something else. So always think about it in terms of what you're exchanging. If you're able to sell the home right now, you're exchanging that for the opportunity to purchase another home with the same money that you're able to get from the sale of your home. And so that's just an exercise that we like to ask people to think about when they're considering whether to sell the homes. But as far as determining a price range, for a new home, I think it all boils down to what your budget looks like as far as how you spend your cash flow. You know, I always like to use a rule of thumb of 30% of your monthly income could be spent on housing. You go to get qualified for a mortgage these days, and a lot of times they'll let you qualify for something up to 40% of your monthly income, or in some cases up to 45%. And so I think that the rule of thumb that I would use, at least if I were giving someone advice, would be 30% of your monthly income 
could be allotted for housing expenses, which includes your property taxes, your home insurance, your mortgage payment. Now, the beauty of that in today's market is that mortgage rates are so darn low that you can end up getting a lot of bang for your buck. In fact, the National Association of Realtors has come out with some statistics that prove that houses today are more affordable as a percentage of our median income as a country than they ever were, at least in recent memory, in the last 30 or 40 years. And so the reason for that is not only because house prices have declined, but because mortgage rates, a 30-year mortgage for less than 4%, you get a 15-year mortgage for less than 3% at the time of this recording. And so we're looking at mortgage rates being at record lows, and this is a situation that may not last forever. And so when you're looking at how much home you can afford, how to determine a price range, think about 30% of your monthly income and what that would translate into by way of a mortgage payment. And there is the formula for determining a good price range for a home that you may be able to afford. I think you hit on a major point that we certainly talk to our clients about, and you use the term budget and you use the term cash flow. And I like to talk in the terms of cash flow. We kind of call it a cash flow analysis because budgets always give a perception, oh, you're going to limit what I can do. And quite honestly, in this case, you have to figure out what you can afford. And one way to do that is to actually see income and expenses to figure out that cash flow. So this isn't an exercise that you should go it alone. And I think that's why you're successful in training so many professionals to help counsel people because they shouldn't be making these large purchase decisions on their own. Absolutely. You know, when I think of budgeting or cash flow allocation or figuring out how much you can afford about something, I always like to try to keep it simple. There's only four things you can do with money. You can earn the money, you can spend money, you can give money away, or you can invest it. And so when you're thinking about allocating your cash flow, you want to consider how much is coming in, what am I earning? You want to think about how much am I spending, what's going out to finance the lifestyle that I'm living. Then you want to think about how much am I giving away to make an impact and to build a legacy for myself, my family, my church, my community, whatever it is that I'm involved in, how am I making an impact by giving money away? And then finally, how am I investing the money for my future and for the future of my family and the future of the people that I care about? If we think about money in those terms, how am I earning it? How much is coming in? How much am I spending? How much am I giving away? And then how much am I investing and saving for my future? This is, I think, a way of thinking about money that would really kind of simplify it for a lot of people. And it all boils down to making sure that you think it through. And sometimes it's hard to bring an objective viewpoint if we're emotionally tied to a situation. That's one of the beautiful things about using a financial advisor is you're welcoming almost like a coach or a third party to come and look at your situation and give you unbiased advice as to what you might be able to do to end up being in a position where you can live the life you want with the people you love and value the most in a way that really matters. And I think that's really the role that a financial advisor would play in helping you make this decision about what kind of home you can afford and this kind of thing. Excellent. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, let's talk about after you've sold your home, how much of that should you use towards the down payment. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a 
specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Just for a moment, try to imagine you're dead. You think that's hard? Try this. You're dead and you don't have life insurance. What would happen to your family's home, to your family's finances, or your family's future? Now here's a thought to put your mind at ease. Life insurance takes care of things should anything happen to you. Death may be hard to imagine, but without life insurance, it's simply unthinkable. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Gibran Nicholas, who's the founder and chairman of CMPS Institute. And we're talking about how much house can you afford, whether you're buying or selling real estate, of course, and what the mortgage options are out there today. And you pointed out before the break, it is a phenomenal time for buyers. So if you have a little professional counsel and a little guidance, figuring out what you can afford, the next step, of course, is if I have a home to sell and I sell it, how much of those proceeds from the sale of my old home should I use as a down payment on the new home with such phenomenal mortgage options available today? That's a fantastic question. And the reason why it's such a great question is because interest rates are so low right now. You think about what am I doing paying cash for a home when I can get a mortgage for three and a half percent? I mean, if you can earn more than three and a half percent by keeping your money invested elsewhere, for instance, with your financial advisor, I mean, there are very safe ways of investing money these days where you might be able to get three percent, four percent, five percent rate of return on your investment. And what you're doing is you are making your money work for you. It's kind of like a very conservative strategy. That's what the banks do. That's how banks make such enormous profits is they pay us 1% or less when we put our money with the bank. And then they take our money and make more money on it. So they get money from us. And then they use that to loan it to our next door neighbor, whoever, next door business. Then the bank makes a profit on the spread or the margin. And when you look at the interest rate markets right now, the opportunity for that kind of investment is very attractive. It may not have been so attractive several years ago, but right now it's a really attractive strategy to look at. We're seeing financial advisors all over the country start advising their clients to pay less cash for their home and take advantage of these 3.5% mortgages and use that money you would have otherwise put as a down payment and put it to work for you in your future and invest it in a very safe, conservative way where it makes more of an impact on your life moving forward. So that's another reason why it's important to talk to a financial advisor when you're thinking about investors so thinking about buying real estate or selling real estate is they can help you make that determination. Does it make more sense for me to put less of a down payment and to use that cash that I otherwise would have allocated and to allocate it somewhere else? One thing that I see when I'm talking to clients all the time, you see a lot of them prepaying their mortgage and then foregoing things like retirement accounts. The interesting thing is if they're in a 15% bracket, what they deposit into a retirement account can give them much more of an impact 
than the little bit that they save on interest. So there are so many aspects to how you should use your cash flow. And as Tony talked about, understanding that cash flow, what's going in, what's going out, and allocating the proper money to the proper places to maximize what you're going to have later. The other thing that we find, too, with people that have these mortgages, you know, mortgage interest is still deductible as an itemized deduction. So if you're in a situation where you can take advantage of that and you're deducting what's already a low interest rate, your actual net cost might be below two depending on your brackets and whether or not you're able to take advantage of that. So there are so many opportunities. I'd like to change kind of the topic here. There are a lot of people in this boat where they cannot sell their home. And we hear all these houses available for sale, the inventory of unsold homes. What should someone do if they're in that position? That's also a great question because about 20% of all homeowners in the United States owe more on their mortgages than the value of the property. It's referred to as being upside down or being underwater. And the question is, how do we get out of that situation if we're in that situation? And so there's a couple of different ideas that we might be able to talk about here. The first is what we call a short sale where you're getting the bank's permission. So let's say you owe 350 on your mortgage and your home is only worth 300. You can go to your bank and get their permission to release the lien on the home where they'll let you sell the property for 300,000 and give them the 300,000 so you don't walk away from the closing with any cash, but at least you got the bank's permission to sell the mortgage. Now the question is, what happens to that difference? What happens to that $50,000 difference? And depending on the state you live in, there are some states, like for instance, California and Arizona, where you buy a house and there's what's called a non-recourse provision of your mortgage, where if you sell it for less than what it's worth, the bank is not allowed to come after you for that difference as long as you use the mortgage to acquire your residence. So if you use the mortgage to purchase the home, then if you sell it for less than the mortgage balance, the bank is not allowed to come after you for the difference. But then if you live in a state like Michigan or Ohio, on the other hand, and you sell the home for less than what the mortgage balance is, the bank has every right, according to state law, to come after you for that difference. And so when you're looking at doing a short sale, the number one mistake that I see people making is that they don't ask for a full satisfaction of the mortgage. The only thing they're asking for is a release of the lien. And if that's the case, then the bank can come after you next year, the year after, maybe three years down the road and say, hey, listen, now you're in a better financial situation. Pay me back the money you didn't pay me two years ago. You want to avoid that as much as possible. So that's why when you're negotiating for a short sale, you want to ask for two things. You want to ask your bank for a release of the lien, and you want to also ask them for a full satisfaction of the mortgage. And if you can get these two things, then a short sale could be a great option for you. Any other strategies that you can think of, Debron, outside of the short sale? Marketing strategies, potentially? Yeah, there are a couple of different ideas. The first would be what we call a cash-in mortgage. So, for instance, let's say you've got the same scenario with a $350,000 mortgage and a $300,000 home. Does it make sense for you to take $50,000 out of your savings account or wherever else you have that money and use that to pay down your mortgage to the point where you can sell the home? If it makes sense for you to do that, it's something you'd want to talk to your financial advisor about. Basically, what you're doing is you're investing $50,000 instead of investing it in your savings account, earning half a percent interest or whatever it is your bank is paying you. You're taking that and you're investing it into your mortgage, into your house. 
So you can free up an enormous amount of cash flow, which will result in a certain rate of return. And so you want your financial advisor to help you run a rate of return analysis on that money. And it might make sense. It might get you into a better situation where you can either refinance that mortgage or sell the home without having to worry about the negative equity. That's called a cash-in mortgage. The other option you might want to consider is to be a little bit creative when you're selling the home to attract a higher price. And so in some markets, you can do what are called seller paid points. This is where you're offering to pay points on behalf of the buyer's mortgage so that they end up with the lower interest rate. How beautiful would it be for you to go to somebody and say, listen, you can lock in a 2.5% mortgage on this home and it won't cost you anything. Why? Because I'm paying the points for you. And so that might make your home more attractive to buyers in that market, just depending on the customs in your local area with regard to seller paid points and that kind of thing. So that's something you'd want to talk to your realtor about. So let's talk a little bit about how do you avoid getting into a negative equity situation on your new home? Because we keep let's talking about kind of being underwater. So let's talk about yeah. how that applies to the new home. Well, the new home, is you got to think about it in this way. A, our price is going to decline to the degree they declined before. So in other words, the reason you're in a negative equity situation right now is probably because you bought the home at the peak of the market, or maybe you bought it before the bubble burst, so to speak. And so prices declined by 20, 30, 40%, maybe even 50% in your local market. So the question to ask is, okay, if I buy a new house, how likely is it that prices are going to decline by another 20, 30, 40%? And the answer is probably not, probably not very likely at all. In fact, if anything, the market's beginning to stabilize in most parts of the country right now. And worst case scenario, you might be looking at dropping another you know, 5% or so from where you are right now. And so if you buy a house, chances are the price on that house is going to either stagnate, go up by very little over the next couple of years, or decline by maybe 2 3 4%. That's what you're looking at. And so the question is, how do we avoid a negative equity in that situation? Well, as long as you're putting down 10% as a down payment or at least 5% as a down payment or even 20% as a down payment, what you're able to do then is almost ensure that you're not going to get into a situation like that because it doesn't make any logical sense that home prices would decline another 20 or 30%, but it might make sense for them to decline another 3 or 4%. So the risk is that they go down 3 or 4%. And the way you hedge against that risk is maybe you put a little bit extra of a down payment, maybe 5% down or 10% or 20% down, so that if they decline by 3 or 4%, you're not in a negative equity situation anymore. Now, I know I've got my opinion on this, so I'd like to hear yours, and I think I know where you're going to go with it. What is better to do, a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage? Well, every situation is a little bit different, but if you're asking me what I would do for my situation, what I would advise my family member to do or my best friend, what I would tell you is use a 30-year mortgage because you never know what life's going to bring your way. You might end up losing your job. Your investments might not perform the way you want them to, and so you have to draw less in your retirement years. And so you want to make sure that you're not spreading yourself too thin, and with a 15-year mortgage, what you're doing is you're locking yourself in to a higher monthly payment that you can't get out of if things go south. And so what you want to do is take the more conservative approach, more safe approach, which would be to obligate yourself to less by way of a 30-year mortgage. And then if you have extra cash flow to make against your mortgage, then you can always make extra payments on your 30-year mortgage and turn it into a 15-year. But you might be paying a slightly higher interest rate, but that interest rate is what I like to refer to as almost an insurance premium against the loss of your job or against some catastrophe happening where you're not going to be able to afford that payment anymore. 
So I would pay a little bit higher of an interest rate, get yourself into a 30-year mortgage, take the more conservative approach because you're not obligating yourself to such a large monthly obligation. Well, the thing is, you can make a 30-year mortgage a 15-year mortgage. You just got to pay a little bit extra. And granted, you have that little extra insurance premium that you quoted as far as the higher interest rates. But the way I look at it, we have the lowest interest rates right now as we're recording this, basically in the history of mortgages, from what I've just heard recently. And if you can lock in that low rate and lock it in for 30 years, if you do a 15-year rate and let's say circumstances change and you need to refinance or whatever, there's no guarantee interest rates are going to be any lower than they are today. Chances are they'll probably be much higher. So if you can lock in the banks to that low rate, why wouldn't you? Absolutely. I completely agree with you 100% because it's a safer option to go by choosing a 30-year loan. Well, listen, we get this question all the time, so I'm going to fire this one at you, too. Based on what you just said, if you could pay cash for a new home, should you? I would say no for two reasons. A, what we just talked about by way of the fact that interest rates are so low right now, it just doesn't make financial sense to do that. You're tying up resources that you could be allocating elsewhere and earning a higher rate of return. But the second reason is something that not a lot of people know about, and it's the way the tax laws are written in our country you could only deduct the mortgage if it's used for acquisition of your home. So in other words, you can deduct the interest on up to a million dollars of mortgage debt if you use that mortgage to purchase the home. But let's say you take the mortgage out later, six months after you buy the home or six years after you buy the home, and you're not using that extra money for home improvements, you're using it for something else, well, then that would not be considered acquisition indebtedness. That falls under another category, according to the IRS, called home equity indebtedness. And you're limited to only deducting the interest on up to 100000 And not only that, you can't even deduct that interest if you're subject to the alternative minimum tax, like 6 million taxpayers are subject to the AMT. So from a tax perspective, it makes more sense to use a mortgage when you're buying the home than thinking to yourself, boy, I can always cash it out later if I want. Well, you might be able to cash out later, but you might be stuck because the tax laws are written in such a way where you might not get the full advantage of the tax deduction unless you use the mortgage when you initially buy the home. Gibran, I think the answer is simple. You need to get advice and not go this alone. So the best advice is seek advice. And you have trained professionals that can provide this. I mean, you've helped 7,000 people educate themselves on how to counsel people on this specific topic. So obviously America needs it from what we just went through as far as the mortgage bubble, that's for sure. I'm sure the landscape is going to continue to change as real estate hopefully continues to come back and mortgages, of course, are going to continue to evolve. So we hopefully we can check back with you in the future. Well, thank you. It's really been an honor to spend some time with the two of you today, and I look forward to continuing our relationship. Thank you. Also, provide us, if you would, if there's any resources available, do you have a website or something that the consumer can go to? Sure. At cmpsinstitute.org. So Charlie Mary Paul Sam, cmpsinstitute.org. And then there's some helpful information on that website as well. Excellent. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information would be helpful to a friend or family member, 
Just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.